Welcome to Convention Pulpit, Wesleyan Voices Past and Present, brought to you through the Ministry of Inner Church Holiness Convention. Visit our website for an entire library of great sermons and more information on this ministry, www.ihconvention.com. Randall McElwain possesses one of the sharpest minds in the holiness movement, and he's dedicated his entire life to the spreading of the gospel. This sermon, preached back in 2017 at the Kansas State Holiness Association camp meeting, is titled, Holiness is Simply Loving Your Neighbor. gone back to my room several times this week feeling a little guilty because it's easy to talk about if you're holy you're going to look like your father it's easy to say it's easy to say if you're a holy person you're going to have a heart that is undivided and that wants only what he wants It's easy to say, if you're holy, you're going to love God, and it's going to be a delight to serve him. What I have to say this morning is easy to say. But as I've gone back to my room more than once this week, I've thought, you know, it's easy to say that. can almost make people feel guilty thinking, well, you know, I don't know if I really measure up to it. But it's hard to live it. It's hard to live it. But the song they sang this morning says, He will keep me faithful. He said that he would. No matter what I say about the holy life, no matter what I say about the experience of entire sanctification, I want to talk about that tomorrow. I want you to understand, and I'm sure I want to remind you, not what we do, it's what he does. Yes, he calls us, and yes, we must say yes, but it's his grace that empowers us. It's his grace that does it all. Even the power to say yes comes from him. Even the power to respond to the invitation left to ourselves in our own power. We don't have enough life. We were dead. We don't have enough life left to ourselves to even respond to the invitation. 
Yes, he holds it out as a free gift. But we don't have enough power to accept the gift. Wesley at one point said he was just a hair's breadth from Calvinism. Now, it turned out to be a very thick hair. But part of the reason he said that is this. It is not that God offers the gift and we are so smart. And we are so sharp that we said, yeah, I'm going to take that gift. No. He offers the gift to a bunch of dead people. We don't have in ourselves the power even to reach out and accept the gift. And then in his great grace, he gives us the power to cooperate with him. And to accept the gift that he offers. In ourselves, we don't have the power to give ourselves completely to him. We don't have the power to look like our father. But all of it is his grace working in and through us. He will keep me faithful. He said that he would. This week we've been looking at what it means to be a holy person. We looked in the Pentateuch. To be holy is to look like our Father. When people see you, do they see the image of your Father? I was thinking this morning during prayer time. I hope that you'll take these questions home. Because sometimes we we fall in a habit of thinking that spiritual growth happens each year in camp meeting. Maybe in a revival. And the rest of the time we just kind of coast. But spiritual growth happens day by day by day. So please don't come to the end of this week. And say, okay, I've had my spiritual shot for the year. I think I can make it now to fall revival. Take these questions home. Stick them in your Bible somewhere. And somewhere a month, two months, three months down the road. Say, God, do I look more like you today than I did in July? Am I growing in your image? Am I being transformed from one degree of glory to another? We saw that to be holy is to be separated from the world, separated from sin and separated to God. We looked in the historical books. To be holy, to be perfect is to have an undivided heart. It won't hurt somewhere along about November to say, God, are you finding any division in my heart? Am I serving you with an undivided heart? Yesterday, I asked you from the Psalms, do you love God? Do you love his law? Do you love his word? Because we're coming to the end of the week, I'm skipping over the prophets But the prophets say to us, if you're holy, it's going to affect your daily life. You're going to live lives of justice and mercy and humility. 
You're going to walk as a righteous person. A boss who is holy is going to treat his employees much different than a boss who is not holy, the prophets say. And the prophets say, if I'm working for someone, if I'm a holiness person, if I'm a holy person, a righteous person, I'm going to give them 60 minutes for their 60 minutes. I'm going to work. I'm going to give my best because the prophets say a holy person is righteous. And it starts from inside. You don't have to question their ethics. You don't have to question their behavior. But today I'm jumping to the Gospels. I want to ask another question. Let me start with a story from the Gospels. Imagine a man named Levi, also known as Matthew. He's a tax collector. He works on the road leading from the Sea of Galilee. And his job is to collect taxes from the commercial fishermen. They bring their catch. He figures the tax on it and they pay it. We don't know if Levi is honest or dishonest, but we do know that how much he made depended on how much taxes he collected. So he had a good motivation to charge as much as possible. You can imagine someday as he's sitting there in his booth, the Jewish rabbi, a Pharisee, walks by. Levi wouldn't have bothered to speak to the Pharisee because the Pharisee certainly wasn't going to speak back. As he comes close, the Pharisee likely kind of pulls his robe a little tighter, crosses over to the other side of the road. If he has someone with him, he might speak to him kind of loudly so this tax collector can hear. Look at that man. He claims he's a Jew, but he works for the Romans. I thank God I'm not a publican because he's never going to be part of the kingdom of God. Levi's heard it many times. But that day another rabbi walks by. Levi expects to be insulted again. But this rabbi is different. Luke chapter 5. Jesus saw a publican named Levi sitting at the receipt of custom. And he said unto him, follow me. And Levi left all, rose up and followed him. Later in chapter 5 of Luke it tells us. Levi invites a group of his fellow tax collectors to dinner. It's a feast where they can get acquainted with Jesus. Levi is so excited about what has happened to him. He wants to introduce Jesus to all his friends. But of course all his friends are publicans. Jesus comes to dinner. And the Pharisees are shocked. Jesus claims to be a holy man. People say he's a great teacher. But Pharisees know that holy people stay away from sinners. They know that. And here is this man who says he's holy eating dinner with a sinner. Jesus hears the Pharisees complaining and he says, verse 31, It's sick people who need a doctor. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The self-righteous don't even know they're sick. I'm here to call people who know there's something wrong and to offer them a cure. Over and over, Jesus shocked the good people. 
You see, the Pharisees were considered the holiest people of the day. And they said this. We are holy people, so we stay away from sinners. Jesus said, I am a holy person, so I spend time with sinners. The Pharisees believed that sin is contagious. If a sinful person touches a holy person, they thought the holy person was going to become unclean. Jesus believed that holiness is contagious. That if a sinner spends time with a holy person, it is going to draw the sinner to holiness. Do you believe that sin is contagious or that holiness is contagious? Do you believe that it's possible to have a kind of holy life that draws others to a holy God. Yesterday I asked you the question, do you love God? This morning I want to ask you to think about what sometimes at least seems to me to be much harder, and that is, do you love your neighbor? Is your holiness contagious? The Pharisees were constantly criticizing Jesus. He ate with sinners. He didn't follow all their rituals. He didn't do everything just like they did it. But I want you to notice something. When Jesus condemns the Pharisees, he doesn't say to them, what you are doing is wrong. He says, what you are doing is not right enough. Understand? Matthew 5, listen to what he says. Except your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. You shall in no case enter the kingdom of heaven. The problem with the Pharisees is not they were doing something wrong. It was that they weren't doing enough right. Turn to Matthew 23, please. Matthew chapter 23, one of, I think, the most frequently misunderstood and misquoted Teachings of Jesus. Jesus has condemned the Pharisees as hypocrites. He has said to them, you're like graves that have been washed on the outside, but you're full of dead men's bones. You're unclean. And then, here's the verse I want you to see, verse 23. You pay tithe of mint, anise, cumin, but you have omit, omitted the weightier matters of the law, Judgment, mercy, and faith. And here's the key. These ought you to have done and not to leave the other undone. What's wrong with these leaders? They tithe every little herb. But they neglect the weightier matters. Justice, mercy, faithfulness. Now I have heard people read that verse and say, Jesus said... Don't worry about the little things. Focus on the big things. Jesus didn't say that. He said, you should be doing both. The problem with the Pharisees was not what they did. The problem was what they did not do. Jesus did not say to them, you're doing too much. He said, you are doing too little. You see, holy people care about the little things because they want to please God. 
They love him. But they also care very much about the big things. The Pharisees took care of all those little details. But Jesus said, you don't take care of the big things. Justice, mercy, faithfulness. Let's see what was missing. Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, Jesus is teaching. A Pharisee, or I'm sorry, a lawyer comes to test him. Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Verse 26, Jesus said to him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? And he, the lawyer, answering said, and first he quotes from Deuteronomy 6, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, with all thy mind. Then he quotes from Leviticus 19, And thy neighbor as thyself. Jesus said to him, Thou hast answered right. This do and thou shalt live. Jesus says there's two things that you must do to please God. This is what it means to be a holy person. Love God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. To be holy means to love God with all your heart. An undivided heart. It's more than emotion. It's more than going to church. It's more than giving in the offering. It is loving God with an undivided heart. John Wesley defined love for God like this. To love God means to delight in Him. To rejoice in His will. To desire continually to please Him. To seek and find our happiness in Him. To thirst day and night for a fuller enjoyment of Him. To repeat the question from yesterday, do you love God? Do you delight in Him? Do you rejoice in His will? Do you desire to please Him? Do you find your happiness in Him? Do you thirst for Him? Do you love God? Loving God changes our priorities. Pleasing Him becomes our greatest joy. Loving God means that we live in willing submission to Him. Jesus said it like this, If any man come to me and hate not his father, mother, wife, children, brethren, sisters, yes, his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. To love God means to love God above everything. To love God above myself. If God is not first, Jesus says, we don't love him. It is possible to do good works. It is possible to pastor a church. It is possible to be a missionary. It is possible to do all of this and not to love God. Do you love God? But this morning I'm wanting to focus on the second part of the response. Do I love my neighbor as myself? The lawyer says, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Love love God. Love your neighbor as yourself. We are to be like God. The first day I said we are to have the image of God. God loves our neighbor. We are to love as God loves. If we want to see a model of that, we look at the life of Jesus. He came not to associate himself with those who have it all together. 
But he came to associate with the blind, the lame, the poor, the prisoners, those in needy. All through Jesus' ministry you see this. A Roman soldier comes to Jesus for healing. A Roman soldier has no right to expect a miracle from a Jewish rabbi. But Jesus loves his Roman neighbor. He spends time in Samaria with a woman that no decent rabbi would have been sitting talking to. He shows mercy to Zacchaeus, a despised tax collector. The Jewish leaders come to arrest Jesus. Simon Peter takes out his sword, cuts off Malchus's ear. If it were today, there would have been a great Facebook post. Picture of Malchus's ear with a hashtag, fighting for Jesus. Twitter feed, vengeance is mine, I will repay. But Jesus doesn't see it that way. Jesus heals Malchus. Why? Because to be holy is to love your enemy rather than blasting them on Facebook. That part's not in the Bible, but it could go there. To be holy is to bless them that curse you. To be holy is to do good to them who, that hate you. To be holy is to love as God loves So in Luke 10, when the lawyer says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What's written in the law? The lawyer is a good student. He gets an A plus on the written part of the exam. Two questions, two answers. Love God, love your neighbor. But then Jesus says there's another section to the test. You must apply it in real life. He says, good answers. Do this and you shall live. And the lawyer doesn't like that, so he starts to look for a loophole. He's a lawyer. Verse 29. But he, willing to justify himself, says unto Jesus, Who is my neighbor? Jesus said, Let me tell you a story. And he tells this story, and I decided just for the sake of time this morning, you know this story as well as I do, and so I'm not going to go through the story. You'll be glad to know that cuts out three pages of notes. But he tells a story that shows us this. Loving your neighbor is not about what you say. It's about what you do. Loving your neighbor, he shows us, is something that's going to cost. It's going to be inconvenient. It's even going to be risky. But to be holy means to love our neighbor. The reason I decided to skip over the story is because I've been thinking. And I don't have this put together yet. Which is dangerous. But earlier this year a minister died who had a great impact on me. Dennis Kinlaw preached on sin. Powerful message on sin in which he defined the root of sin as self-centeredness. In the Garden of Eden, the temptation is you can be like God. You can take the place that belongs to God. At Babel, 
Man wants to do what? Make a name for himself. To put self at the center. In the temptation, Satan says to Jesus, leap from the temple. Make a name for yourself. At the root of sin is self. The child who refuses to sit down when they're told to, it's not because they don't like sitting. Sometimes it's just because I want to be the boss. The teenager who breaks the rules because no one tells me what to do. The root of sin is self. The man who commits adultery, it's not primarily about loving that other woman. It's about pleasing myself. Doing what I want to do. Self is at the root of sin. Carl Menninger said it like this. Sin always has I in the middle. Sin is about self. Last week I was driving down the street and I was thinking about Dr. Ken Law's message. And I began to think, if it is true that sin is self-centeredness, then that must mean that holiness is other-centeredness. To be centered on something other than myself. To love God rather than myself. To love my neighbor rather than myself. A holy person is focused on others. I haven't worked all of this out, but here's what I think it says to us as holiness people. I think some of us struggle with the message of holiness and entire sanctification because even our search for holiness becomes turned in on ourselves. And if holiness is centered on others, then maybe our search for holiness seems to be loving God, loving our neighbor, looking at others. I thought again about it yesterday with our brother's illustration about the man who says, I don't have any joy, I don't have any joy, I don't have any joy, but he's bringing joy everywhere he goes. Jesus says, if we want to be holy, start looking at God. Start looking at our neighbor. Love God. Love our neighbor. It's a few hours before his arrest. It's the Last Supper. Luke 22 tells us that while they're eating, the disciples are arguing about who's going to be the greatest. They think that Jesus is getting ready to set up his kingdom in Jerusalem and they want the top positions. During the meal, Jesus takes a towel and begins to wash their feet. Now you need to understand if you've been in a foot washing service, this really wasn't like a foot washing service. Because in a foot washing service, everyone washes their feet before they go. You know, you're getting ready. These people didn't wash their feet before they went. It wasn't a foot washing service. They've just been walking down the roads and it's dirty and their sandals and their feet are dirty. This is not a pleasant job. This is the job that you hire a servant to do. The person that's not sitting at the table is doing this job. But for whatever reason, Jesus wants to be alone with his disciples, so for whatever reason, they haven't hired someone to do this. 
Peter and John are the host of the supper, but they're certainly not going to do it. Jesus willingly takes the lowest job in the room. The disciples are sitting there arguing about who gets the top job. And while they're doing it, Jesus is kneeling down to take the lowest job. And when he's done, he says to them, You call me Master and Lord, and I am. If I then, your Master and Lord, have washed your feet, you ought also to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example. Jesus wants his disciples to know that love is about others. Love is humble. Love does not seek position. Love seeks opportunities to serve. Do you see why that kind of holiness is contagious? No one ever caught the holiness of a Pharisee. Their holiness wasn't contagious. Yes, they were good on the separation. And please understand, I am not suggesting that separation is wrong. Please don't leave camp and say, that guy from Hope Sound said, why to just throw everything out and accept anything. No. But the problem with the Pharisees is not that they were too holy. The problem with the Pharisees is they were not holy enough. Because holiness is more than separation from sin. Yes, it's that. But it's more. It is love for our neighbor. A love that is contagious. A love that attracts others to Jesus. A love that causes a Matthew to say, I'll leave my tax booth and follow. A love that causes a Samaritan woman to say, come see a man who told me all I ever did. A love, a holiness that causes a Zacchaeus to receive him joyfully. I told you yesterday I've been thinking about loving God as I think about why do so many people walk away from within our churches. And part of it, I think, is we fail sometimes to fall in love with God. And if we never fall in love with God, at some point we're going to be tempted to walk away. But when I look outside our church and I say, why is it that we're not doing a better job of drawing in unbelievers? Holiness is very much about evangelism. Because it's only going to be true, this kind of holiness, perfect love that draws unbelievers, that draws sinners to Christ. Many of you, many of us, I grew up in tiny little churches. If our family wasn't there, we didn't have a quorum. Many of us go to little churches. Pastor little churches, attend little churches. And the world outside, thought about this this week as we're, we're right here on this main street and people drive by and they see us. 
And please understand what I'm saying. I am, again, I'm not interested in changing how I live and how I dress and what I do. But for many people who drive by, all they see is a uniform. That's their uniform. I don't know about any of you, but I have never driven up to the Rotary Club and said, I think I'll come in and meet with you all today. Why? I'm not a member. It's not my group. Why should I show up? And there is, for many of the people who drive past here, no reason in the world for them to say, I think I'll just drop in. They're not a member. They don't think they belong. You understand? And so sometimes we say, I want to do this better. I want to draw them. Let's try to get a really good praise team. But the problem is this. There's another church in town that can do a whole lot better praise team than we can. Then we say, let's, let's make our church a little fancier, a little more attractive. People, I don't want to make you feel bad. But there's somewhere in your town that can make their church look a little fancier and a whole lot better than you can. All of these little gimmicks we try, someone can do it better. So why should they come to our little holiness church and seek God? I understand that, of course, the answer is God's presence is there and I'll transform them. But they don't know that. They haven't been there. And they might be aware of Jamaica looking in the windows. But they're not looking in our windows. There's too many other entertainments to go to. Here's why living a holy life is important. The one thing, the one thing that is going to get them to our church... And give them a chance to see God's presence at work is if we love them. And they're drawn to us. And at some point because they have been one to you. You have the chance to say like the Samaritan woman. Hey come with me and see someone who told me everything I did. They're not even going to walk in the door. Unless we win them to ourselves through a love that draws them to us and then draws them to our God. Do we love our neighbor? 19th century, John Selwyn was a missionary at a school in the South Pacific. He loved God. He loved his neighbor. He's a teacher there. One day he reprimanded one of the students for something. The student lost his temper and slapped his teacher across the face. Mr. Selwyn started to respond. Then he felt checked by the Holy Spirit. You need to handle this privately. So he did. He turned and walked away. Dealt with it later. The student continued to cause trouble and eventually was expelled from the missionary school and sent home. Years passed. John Selwyn died. But years later, a missionary on that island is called to the bedside of a man who's dying. It's this former student. He's an old man and he's facing death. 
He says to the missionary, I've lived a wicked life. I went to the missionary school and I turned against God. But I'm dying and I want to know God. He repents. He asks the missionary if he can be baptized. And in that region, they had a tradition that when you were baptized, you were given a new name. They wanted to identify you as a new person. And so when you were baptized, the Christians would take on a new name. And so the missionary says to this new believer, what name do you want to be called? Listen to his answer. Name me John Selwyn. Because on the day that I struck him, he taught me what Jesus is like. That's what it means to love your neighbor. When we love our neighbor, we show them. What Jesus is like. It might take decades to bear fruit. But that day in an angry teenager. There was a little seed planted. That said this is what it means to love. We sang this morning. Oh to be like thee. Full of compassion. Loving, forgiving, tender and kind. Come in thy sweetness. Come in thy fullness. Stamp thine own image deep on my heart. We can do a lot of things to try to draw the world to God. We can do a lot of things to try to make our churches attractive. And I'm not against evangelism. Please understand. We need to have revivals. We need to have preaching. We need to have God's glory. We need. But. But I am increasingly convinced. My next door neighbor is never. Going to walk into the church. And hear the gospel. Unless. They are one. To me. That's not going to happen if I don't love them. And my next door neighbor isn't that lovable. It's hard to love my neighbor. But you know what? I'm not very lovable. God loved me. I didn't deserve his love and he loved me. And I am called to love my neighbor as God loved me. That's what it means to be holy. And I am convinced, I am convinced that if we will live that kind of holiness. Yes, there's still going to be people driving by and saying, look at those people in their uniforms. But that's okay. Because when they get to know you, when they get to know you, they're going to see more than the uniform. They're going to start to see Jesus. And at some point... The uniform, the dress, the differences aren't going to matter. Because everybody wants to be loved. And when they see the love of God coming through us, it's going to draw them to him. What's it mean to be holy? Love your neighbor. Dear God, thank you for the privilege to be with this wonderful group this week. I pray that as we come this last weekend of camp, will you speak speak through 
each of the final messages this afternoon, tonight, tomorrow. Work in our hearts. And then, Lord, as we leave tomorrow night, Monday morning, we go back to our communities. Would you help us to love our neighbors? It sounds so easy. It sounds so simple. But, Lord, day by day by day, would you help us to live out the kind of love that you showed, the kind of love that heals an enemy, the kind of love that washes the feet of those who were proud and arrogant. The kind of love that you call us to show. And through that would you begin to reach our neighbors. Would you begin to bring them into our churches because of the love they see among us. I pray in Jesus name. Amen. I don't want to take for granted the heritage of holiness that has been passed on. I don't want to lose the fire. Thank you for listening to Convention Pulpit, a ministry of Inner Church Holiness Convention, featuring Wesleyan voices past and present. For more sermons or for more information, visit www.ihconvention.com. This ministry is made possible through the financial support of our listeners. You may give online at ihconvention.com or send your donation to IHC, Post Office Box 99, New Berlin, Pennsylvania, 17855 USA.